part of the work we're doing in the Southern region is to educate mental health providers about farm issues and the stressors associated with it. The stigma that we're trying to break is just if they feel like they're seen getting help by their neighbors or somebody in town, they're going to be the one getting talked about. Hello and welcome to Wherever John May Roam, the National Corn Growers Association podcast. This is where leaders, growers, and stakeholders in the corn industry can turn for big picture conversations about the state of the industry and its future. I'm Dusty Weiss, and I'll be introducing your host, Association CEO John Doggett. From the fields of the Corn Belt to the D.C. Beltway, we're making sure that the growers who feed America have a say in the issues that are important to them with key leaders who are shaping the future of agriculture. Farmers work in a business where the finances keep getting tighter and the stakes keep getting higher. And that kind of pressure takes a toll, but mental health isn't exactly getting talked about a lot in the ag community. So in this episode, we meet Lowell Neitzel, a grower from Kansas who's tried to change that by sharing his personal story about mental health, and Dr. Heather Sedges, an associate professor from the University of Tennessee, who's working to prioritize mental health resources for growers. But if you haven't yet, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast in your favorite app. Also, make sure you follow the NCGA on Twitter at National Corn and sign up for the National Corn Growers Association newsletter at ncga.com. And with that, it's time to once again introduce John. John Doggett, the CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. And John, today we're going to be talking about an important topic that's near and dear to my heart, certainly to yours as well. According to the latest data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the suicide rate amongst the agriculture industry is nearly 10 points above the national average. And with estimates that approximately one in four farmers struggles with mental health issues, the need in rural America, it's serious. Corn Growers Association understands and wants to help those around farmers understand the resources that are available and the importance of supporting people that need help. And so, John, I hear one of NCGA's action teams has taken up this important topic and begun working with partners across the industry to spread the message that saying something could mean everything. You know, Dusty, we all know firsthand about too many stories and we've seen too many tragedies. And so this is an important podcast and one that I've been looking forward for us to have because this is an important issue. Today we have with us Lowell Neitzel. Lowell farms as part of a fourth generation family farm outside of Lawrence, Kansas. He is also the chairman of the NCGA member and consumer engagement action team. And the neat thing about Lowell is he shares his personal story as an advocate for mental health awareness and support in rural communities. And I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with him and hearing part of his story on this podcast. And then we have Dr. Heather Sedges. She is an associate professor and human development specialist in the Department of Family and Consumer Sciences with the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture. Dr. Sedges serves as the principal investigator and lead of the USDA NIFA-funded Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network in the Southern Region. Dr. Sedges is a multi-award-winning scholar whose work focuses on community-engaged, culturally relevant, and systems-based approach to improving quality of life in rural America. So both of you, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And Lowell, we're going to turn to you first. Tell us a little, how did you come to be passionate about this issue? You know, I grew up in a pretty rural community, not a lot of sources for getting help. And I watched my dad struggle for years with ongoing mental health issues and uh, really never did get the help that he really needed. He just kind of let himself go. And, you know, long story short, I feel like mental health played a huge role in, in his demise and uh, 
a fairly early death. Uh, he died when he was about 68. So, um, you know, that took a real big toll on me and I, me and my father weren't real close there at the end, but you know, I didn't think his passing would take such a huge toll on me, but it sure did. And I had to have a really strong group around me and my wife kind of gave me the come to Jesus talk and, and said, I needed to go get some help. I love her for it. And, um, you know, I've been going strong ever since and, and, I do have my days. Everybody has their days, but I'm in a really good spot right now. And I'm happy to be an advocate for mental health. And uh, by me telling my story, I've, I've had so many great conversations with people that I don't even know from all over the country. And uh, it's pretty awesome that people feel comfortable with me and uh, they just come up to me and just start talking. And that's what we're here. We're just start that conversation. Well, we're going to come back a little bit more to your story in a minute. But in the meantime, Heather, can you tell us about the USDA NIFA-funded Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network in the Southern region? That is a mouthful of a title. Thank you so much for having me here today. And congratulations on saying all of those words in order. The good news I'm happy to report is that starting in August this year, we'll actually be renaming and rebranding to a much more pronounceable moniker. So looking forward to sharing that in the coming months here. But our region in the South is really privileged to work across our 15 states and U.S. territories, ranging from Texas all the way up to Kentucky and down and back around all the way through Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. And we're really working to address the root causes of stress. You know, there's power in knowing what we don't know. And to that end, that's why we're working with organizations like NCGA and other groups like IAC, Intertribal Ag Council, or the Federation of Southern Cooperatives, or RAFI, or you name it. We're trying to reach out to lots of different groups who have lots of different experiences and perspectives so that we can have as tightly woven of a net to catch people as possible. You know, Heather and Lowell, I've got to say, farm culture is an incredible thing. And one thing that's always been incredible about it to me is the idea that there's nothing that you can't accomplish with enough hard work and determination, right? But along with that comes this notion that pain is just a thing that you ignore or you power through, you rub some dirt on it, you get back out there and you get to work. And that's all well and good if it's just physical pain, sometimes. But when we're talking about pain on the inside, that mentality can do more harm than good. Right, Dr. Sedges? It actually changes your brain. We know through years of studies that when we are under long-term stress, which is what farmers deal with, they're dealing with unpredictable elements, whether it be the weather, economy, family issues, community issues, all of that, herd health, crop health, those are all variables that are changing all of the time. And that is stressful. What we call that kind of stress is chronic stress. And then for farmers and ranchers and people in the ag world, what they deal with are layers of episodic. So things that just happen in the moment, right? That you don't expect acute stressors. So think about a natural disaster or perhaps a fertilizer issue like we're facing right now or a drought. So what we have when we have chronic stress partnered with acute stressors is actual change in the brain because of the cortisol that's being released in our body. Because we ultimately are we're creatures of evolution. Years ago, when a bear would chase after us, or actually if a bear chased after us today, our cortisol system would go into hyperactive mode. We'd go into fight or flight mode. And that's when our brain would 
just tell us to shut down and react and to find any soothing source that we can so that we can perceive safety. And our brain doesn't know how to differentiate between a bear chasing us or a fertilizer shortage or supply chain issue or not being able to find a meat processor in time. Lowell, was there a moment in your personal story when you kind of had that realization where you realized, oh my God, it feels like there's a bear chasing me. And how did you work through that personally? Yeah, you know, um, I was always pretty goal-oriented. And when I woke up in the morning, you know, I'm going to try to get this many acres covered if I was planting, or I'm going to try to get this many bales bailed if I was, you know, running the round baler. And if I had a breakdown or, or a weather event, I just felt like the whole world was going to come to an end just because I didn't reach my goal for the day. And that took a huge toll on me. And, you know, it'd be something I worried about for the rest of the week or a couple of weeks. So, man, if I'd have been able to get that hundred acres, I'd be done with this already. And I missed out because I broke down or, you know, the rain got me. And it's been those little things that I've had to try to figure out that it's okay that uh, I don't get everything done in one day that I think I need to get done. And I was lucky to have a really good therapist to help me get the stuff I needed. We even talked about getting me some medication and I talked with some friends that were on some medication and, and they told me that it's made a world of difference in their life. So with their confidence and their backing, I, you know, I, I was willing to give it a try and it's uh, made a world of difference in my life. You know, I'm from Montana and, and we have unfortunately a very high rate of suicide. And one of the many factors that are part of that is the lack of mental health professionals in rural communities. And Lowell, you've talked about therapy and I've done that as well. What kind of stigma is there still? And I'm going to ask Lowell you first and I'm going to ask Heather you second. What kind of stigma is there about therapy and how do we overcome some of that? Yeah, good question. That's one I'm, I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around a little bit. I think my generation and the generation younger than me, I think they're okay with talking They've probably seen their families and their parents struggle from time to time. And a lot of them don't want to go through those struggles. And they think it's okay to talk because probably they've seen people in their life like me talk about it and they're okay with talking about it or they're willing to go get help because this younger generation is wired a little different than the rest of the farming community, I feel. So I feel like they're open to a lot more things and they're willing to do things that the older generation isn't. The stigma that we're trying to break is just, I feel like a lot of them feel that if they feel like they're seen getting help by their neighbors or somebody in town, they're going to be the one getting talked about. And, oh, you know, so-and-so was at the doctor's office today. I wonder what's wrong with him. He must not be feeling good or he might not be feeling all right. And in a little town, gossip is everything. And so, you know, we don't want to be the center of the gossip for sure. And, you know, another thing, this older generation, you know, my grandparents, my parents taught me that, you know, we're tough as nails. You know, you're not supposed to worry about getting help. You sit in the tractor and you think about it and you get through it. Well, you sit in the tractor and you think about it and you Sometimes you get in that rabbit hole and you just, there's no getting out of it. It's just a crazy thing to think. But uh, yeah, we just need to get rid of that stigma. It's okay to go get help. So Lol, I have a little theory here. I think the reason that younger generations are increasingly more willing to talk about mental health and options to cope with stress are because of people like you who are brave enough to 
be the leaders and to go out there and be vulnerable and talk about it. So big kudos to you for that. I really do. I think over the past 30 years, we've seen a big difference both in media and in interpersonal connections and being able to be vulnerable and talking about issues that are unseen to so many. But I also think that a lot of times people don't always engage with what I like to call our, the tools in our toolbox, right? Those in the ag world, we all have tools in our toolbox, whether it's a pair of pliers or whether it is maybe going to talk to a therapist or taking medication. And I think one of the reasons that we struggle with the stigma is really all about fear of the unknown. We're not sure what to expect. Are we going to walk in and be lying on a couch? Is somebody going to tell us all the things that are wrong with us? Are we going to inadvertently increase our risk for someone to come in and say, oh, they're not running their farm in an effective manner, or they're not able to manage their herd. So that opens up a lot of vulnerabilities for uh, farmers and ranchers. And so really understanding the operating principles behind the stigma, like what's causing that? And you know, the first time you go to a therapist is the hardest time, or the first time you go to a 12-step meeting is the hardest one you'll ever go to. And so it's getting beyond that initial fear of the unknown. I've thought sometimes almost need a, a video of this is what it's like going the first time and it won't kill you. Yeah. Lowell said something interesting earlier about the importance that his wife played in being supportive. And I can't underscore the importance enough of having people who are supportive in your life. I have been able and honored and humbled to play that role for others, but also been the recipient of it. And it's as simple as saying, can I help you make a phone call? Let's do that right now in the moment and really being ready to step into that space, knowing that the answers are not all known and that's okay. Why are so many of us involved in agriculture, so many of us who are from rural areas, why is it that we're so afraid of taking care of ourselves? I said to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, I really wasn't feeling well and I took the afternoon off and I said to her, I feel kind of guilty about that. And she said, there you go. There's that country kid thing again about you're not going to take care of yourself. You're embarrassed that you didn't feel good. So you took the afternoon off. How much of that is out there? How much of it is, you know, Lowell said, we're tough. We're going to hang in there and just keep on going. It just goes back to that mentality that, you know, I watched grandma and grandpa and my mom and dad just fight tooth and nail to survive. And they were out there when they were sick and out there at all times of the days and nights checking calves and, and doing all kinds of fun stuff like that. And so I think that just kind of translates into my mind that if I got like a little tickle in my throat, I can't be at home sucking off cough drops. I got to be at the farm doing what I know needs to get done. Even though I know my family's there at the farm and they're very capable of doing what I could be there doing. And uh, I could be at home getting healthier resting instead of maybe making everybody else sick. But it just goes back to that thing that we're hardwired with and it's just hard to get over sometimes. So I'm going to be the nerd for a minute here and I'm going to cite some research. And I'm particularly citing an article by Dr. Rossman from 2010. And the title of the article is called The Agrarian Imperative. It was in the Journal of Agri-Medicine. 
And in this article, he talked about the genetic precursors that are embedded in us and then pass through our generations. And he uncovered this through genetic and anthropological evidence that suggests that acquiring territories of land, and I'm quoting directly from the abstract here, that acquiring territories of land to produce necessities has an inherited basis that is encoded into our genetic material. So what does this mean? I know that this means for us, the way we're translating that is it's hard if we're supposed to be producers producing something and that is not happening as effectively as we have conjured in our minds or pictured in our minds, then we have this innate tendency to think, I'm not doing well, something is wrong. And it kicks in that whole notion of, quote, I am bad or I could do better. So Heather, we've kind of covered a lot of the micro so far on this, of how this impacts individual people and some ways that they can begin to cope with that. But you mentioned earlier the USDA NIFA-funded Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network in the Southern Region. How is your organization and your affiliation with that working on this problem on the macro level? Thank you so much for asking about that. And I appreciate that you actually mentioned the macro level because in the Southern Region, What we're really focusing on is understanding and addressing the very root causes of farmer stress. So, yes, we could create programs and fact sheets and webinars to address ways that farmers and ranchers and foresters, too, could be managing their stress. But what we're doing in addition to that is working upstream with partners to understand and mitigate the issues that are causing this stressors. So this means engagement with risk management organizations. This means educating farm families about effective succession planning or crop health, herd health, making sure that there are resources for farmers in a one-stop, easy-to-find place. And what our region is working on right now is curating all those resources, supports, go-to organizations into a place that someone can go to, particularly if they're in crisis. For instance, answer one question on a website that says, how are you doing today? What's on your mind? And the backend analytics or the backend database will then help them source through what kind of resources they need to be connected to. So we're really working from a systems level approach. We are engaging with organizations throughout the country, in addition to the southern region, to focus on ways that we can mitigate those root causes of stress. And we're doing that through a hotline that will be in collaboration with numerous partners at the national level that are farmers themselves. So when you pick up that phone line, it's not just a random person that has no idea what's going on in farming or ag. It's someone who's been there, done that. It's people who know the connections for loan remediation programs and can understand some of the very nuanced issues that go into that. It's also having this website that will be able to navigate people to the resources and communities of support that they need. I think that's an important thing that you just mentioned, Heather, that there is nuance to folks providing some of this assistance. And what I hear from farmers as we kind of moved into this space several years ago, I heard over and over again, well, 
we've got to make sure that whoever's answering that phone on that hotline knows a little bit about agriculture. And that is important. And I'm so glad to hear that more and more of those hotlines are available with skilled people that understand the mental health side, understand the need for help side, but also understand that February, March, for a lot of folks, they're calving. April, May, they're trying to get a crop in the ground. In the fall, they're trying to get one off the field. And those are important things to understand when you're having that conversation with somebody who is in a crisis. Yet it might just not be that the mental health crisis is there, but at the meantime, they also got to check the heifers that night. And how do you get all of that done? It is a very significant difference between our industry and others. Heather, where are we with having adequate mental health professionals in rural America? I, I, I know that answer here in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., that it's I have some good friends that are trying to get some mental health professionals for their child, and, and they're having a heck of a time here in a reasonably affluent community. If we're having trouble finding mental health professionals in Northern Virginia, how hard is it in rural America and what are we doing about it and what do we need to do about it and what action should we all be taking to support that? That's a multifaceted question. All right. Well, I'm glad I drank my coffee this morning. So yeah, you're right. The availability of mental health providers in rural communities is very low. We know that. The good news is that over the past couple of years, we've become more comfortable with online telehealth options and they've become increasingly reimbursable. So things like telehealth and connecting to therapeutic options online is really changing the face of available resources in rural communities. An important aspect to remember with signs and symptoms that we're looking for in our friends and family members are risk factors. And one of the biggest risk factors is age. We know that 45% of farmers who unfortunately complete suicide are above the age of 65. Another risk factor is veteran status. We have so many farmers who have also served our country. And we know that some of the risk factors that go along with returning increase our risk for uh, contemplating suicide. We also want to take into consideration farmers in minority groups. So Black farmers, Latino farmers, Indigenous farmers, women farmers. These are important groups because they may not have a strong sense of community around them. So pay attention to those risk factors. The other ways that we can be addressing this too are by educating people that are proximal to ag producers. So that means individuals like your family doctor, faith-based organizations. And something that happened recently is that all FSA employees were trained in a mental health literacy program. So when they're working with people on their loans, they're going to be able to be aware of the signs and symptoms that may be concerning and be able to route them to a tool in a toolbox that they can use. Lowell, how hard was it for you to find a mental health professional in your area when you were looking for one? You know, I'm pretty fortunate. I live in a pretty populated area, so I was able to find one fairly easily. The kicker was that I had to spend some of my session educating my provider about why stuff on the farm was stressing me out. She had grown up in kind of a rural area, but she was a city kid and she didn't really understand the nuances of farm life and working with family and what working multi-generations on one operation can do to a person. 
And so it was frustrating on one hand and it was kind of refreshing on the other hand because she had that separation. And so she was able to give me stuff to look at from kind of an outsider's perspective that I wasn't really looking at myself. And so, you know, at the time I was like, I don't know if she's really helping me, but, you know, looking at it now, several years later, I feel like she did do me a big favor and a big service and gave me a lot of tools to put in my toolbox. And that was just one of my many journeys with a therapist. And uh, it's been kind of a struggle to find somebody to know what's going on on the egg side. But at the same time, you know, I can kind of work with the people that I need to get help from and uh, make it work. Well, you'll be heartened to know, I hope, that part of the work we're doing in the Southern region is to educate mental health providers about farm issues and the stressors associated with it. In fact, in early August, we're having a summit in Tennessee specifically to cross over the ag professionals with mental health professionals and help them understand each other's field and what's going on there. So we're going to try to help with that, but we're going to still need people educating others as they go along. That's awesome. So Heather, top thing on your wish list that you think would do the most good for the most people the quickest, what would that be? Do we need more federal money? Do we need more state money? You know, we can always throw taxpayer dollars at everything. That's kind of the way we do things in this country. But really, what's needed that policymakers need to do to address some of this? A couple of things. One, and I don't know that policymakers can do this, but we need more people like Lowell. We need people ready to step into that space and be open and know that the sky will not fall if you share what you are going through. In fact, it'll lift other people out of the darkness and you'll find a community that can be supportive to you. So I think, number one, we need more people like that. Second of all, we need it to be easy for people to access care. And whether that's broadband accessibility to enhance telehealth options or whether that's funding initiatives to get more providers out into communities or whether that's having some kind of certification program that can cross train individuals that are already in a field adjacent to agriculture. My wife was in education for 31 years. She retired about five, six years ago. She still comes back to her old school district several weeks a year to fill in. It's a part of a program that they have. And one of the things she has noticed since the pandemic is just this surge of kids that need mental health help. And she was really alarmed last fall when she was in our local school district. And she said, you know, you finally get the kid ready to say, okay, I need some help. Then you got to convince the kid's parents that the kid needs help, and that's harder. And then she saw too many times over just a short period of time that, okay, we finally got everybody ready to say this kid needs some help and they're willing to get some help. Now we can't get help. There's a waiting list. So what do you say to folks that are in a real difficult spot and they're running up against, I can't find a provider, I can't do this? What do you tell them, Lowell, to get them through the next couple of days until they can find somebody to help them find somebody? You know, the one thing that I find that helps me when I get in a bad spot and I don't think I have the time to run to the therapist or get me scheduled on an appointment, I call somebody that I talked with in the past. I talk with a lot of NCGA staff on a, almost a daily basis, you know, when they know me very well, I know them very well, and I can open up and I feel like I'm in a safe space. I have several friends that are usually in a tractor just like I am, and we have a lot of that in common. And so, you know, sometimes I'll call 
not knowing that I needed to talk. And we just travel down that path. And, you know, we talk about the kids, talk about the weather, talk about breakdowns, talk about the older generation, why they're making us mad. Why can't they do this right? Why can't they do that right? But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we'll hang up, say our goodbyes and feel better. It's just, it's weird that we can connect with each other on so many different levels. And at the end of the day, we feel so much better, even though we're not professionals. We're just kind of speaking what's on our mind and we're getting deep. And sometimes getting a little deep and a little in the weeds is okay. And uh, that's what we need to do. And it's okay. You know, the one thing I really tell everybody is it's okay to not be okay. So just call that one guy or one gal or one person that you know that has your back and that would do anything for you. I mean, it could be your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, a former teacher, or one of your best friends. Just call them and just, if they don't answer, just keep calling them until they do answer Then start unloading on them. They'll listen. I think I've heard that referred to as strength in your vulnerabilities. You know, we're pack animals. We find safety in groups. And when we can connect with other people, it actually releases endorphins in our brain in ways when we find connection and an ability to feel safe. You know, if someone's not able to access care immediately, I always say just provide a splint. So if you fell and you broke your ankle, what are you going to do? You're not just going to drag it along. You're going to splint it, right? So same thing with this. Find a splint, whether it is watching something funny on TV just to get your mind out of that space or whether it's just saying to someone, hey, I don't feel like being alone right now. It's really that simple. You know, Heather, a moment ago, you said that the world needs more people like Lowell out there telling their stories and destigmatizing this. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And Lowell, I know that in addition to your involvement at the Corn Growers Association, you put together a video with them. It's a video on YouTube where you tell your story there as well. Anybody who's interested can check out that video at ncga.ws slash farm health. But we'll also put a link in the episode description here. But Lowell, I wanted to ask you, how did that come about and how did NCGA's team come to embrace and elevate the importance of doing work in this area? Yeah, you know, we got approached a couple years ago by the NCGA board. They said, we've got some funding and we're going to put it in your portfolio. Please run with it. And so we're not trying to reinvent the wheel by any means, but we're just trying to make it work because NCGA covers so many states. And so we're trying to, you know, appease people in Ohio, Kansas, Colorado, Wisconsin, Michigan. And so we have so many places that we're trying to make everything kind of work together for a greater cause. So how I got involved with it and had our video done, uh, we have some really great photographers and some filmmakers that are kind of on staff as uh, contractors. And so we had them, I was actually scheduled to do a shoot with them at my farm in Lawrence in August. And Adnan has known me for a while and and he kind of knew my story and how comfortable I was with telling my story. And he was filming some stuff in the tractor and he's like, hey, we're going to try this. And he grabbed one of his camera guys and said, hey, get in on this and let's see where this goes. And so he kind of asked me some questions and I mean, I was in my element. I was in my tractor cab. And so that's kind of my happy space. And we just kind of started going and he kind of asked me some questions and then it ended up being really good. I showed that to my aunt and my wife and Adnan is amazing. They all cried the first time they saw it because they, I mean, my grandpa's in that and they all knew how important he was to me and how important he was to them. And honestly, the first time I saw it, I I really got emotional and I couldn't hardly handle it. It's just amazing the power of a message, especially one that is done very well. And uh, I can't thank 
adding on in his team enough. And I'm so great to have them as a team member to us. And again, we'll put a link to that video in the episode description here, but I would say that anybody who's listening that knows someone who they want to get on the path to getting help, I think they should probably grab that video and send them an email or send it to them on Facebook or or whatever your preferred method of communication is because it is powerful. Lowell, it was powerful what they did in telling that story, but it was powerful that you stood up and told it in the first place. And so thank you so much for doing that. You bet. So Lowell, obviously you've taken this on as a personal mission in your life, but talk a little bit more about you chair the team. You know, your team could have taken off and done a lot of things that a little bit more traditional and talk about membership and prizes for bringing in more members and get that discount on the pickup or whatever. But you went off into a different direction and you've pushed it hard. How have you seen the evolution of your team and the team members? Where has that gone? And have you been surprised at what the response was in your team and how they have pushed forward to deal with these issues? You know, I first took over the team in the middle of COVID. Our first in-person meeting with meeting the whole team was over Zoom. I knew a lot of my team, but you still don't get that personal touch or, you know, the involvement, so to speak. So we actually got together last year in New Orleans and the person that was in charge of trying to help us find some stuff was struggling, had a lot of people tell her that, oh yeah, this is great. We're going to be involved. And when they went to throw their hat in the ring, you know, they backed out and said, oh, we're going to go a different direction or so-and-so reached out to us. We're going to go with them instead of you guys. And we got done with her presentation because she was on Zoom and I jumped up and I said, you know, how frustrating I was that nobody wants to help us. And, you know, I kind of got on my soapbox and I just kind of ranted and raved and we went to lunch and I came back and it was amazing. My team grabbed me and said, you know, I'm so glad you're so passionate about this because this is a big thing. And my team is unique where I have some growers and I have a lot of state staff members on my team. And a lot of my state staff members grabbed me and said, you know how important other farmers are to me and they need to hear what you are so passionate about. So I feel like they've got my back and I certainly got theirs. So if they call me and say, Hey, what do you think about this? I'm a very good sounding board for them. And I use a couple of them quite a bit for sending boards for myself. So uh, they are awesome. And, um, you know, this is something that is very passionate to most of them. And I've seen them in action when we get to talking about this, how they light up because they know this is making a difference in somebody's life that they're involved with directly. So it's awesome. Heather, let's take an example. Do you have a farmer or a member of a farm family that is in acute distress, very serious situation? What's the first place they ought to reach? What's that first phone call that they ought to make? Where can they find some help? You know, because it is daunting to find that help. What would be the first one or two places that you would suggest somebody to go to? Yeah, well, first of all, there's not one solution for every single person. So my answer to you is it really depends, which is not clean and easy for anybody to hear. And that's why in the Southern region, we're really working to gather all of the resources so that it's a one-stop shop where farmers can go to figure out where they should go. We're only in the beginning building phases right now, so we're not quite there yet. So in the interim... I think reaching out to local organizations that provide support, sometimes that looks like your local faith-based group. Sometimes that looks like reaching out to a group, for instance, in North Carolina, we have North Carolina Agri-Medicine Institute. Farmers are quite familiar with the ag safety folks 
or agribility programs. Those are great places to go because they understand the need to amend how we work in order to stay productive. I'm always going to say extension. We have great resources throughout the country and increasingly extension offices and institutions are really addressing this issue. So those are some of the top resources that I would say. So you aren't always going to get the help that you necessarily need with the first phone call or the second phone call, but this is so important to make the third, fourth, or 82nd phone call if that's what it's going to take. Until... Our southern region has this all solved and figured out, and we're getting there. Let me tell you something. We're working day and night on it, but it's having the fortitude to stick with it, and that's something that farmers have. So engaging in whatever that splint is, reaching out to someone who can walk that walk with you to making all of the phone calls, because quite frankly, when you're in the midst of it all, it's really exhausting and you just don't want to have to make one more phone call or explain your story one more time. So having someone who can do that for you, sometimes all it takes is making it a little bit easier on yourself. And that might be jotting down a few notes that you can read off to people when you're talking to them so that you don't always have to be pulling from your own memory. You can just say, here's my list of symptoms. Here's what I'm going through. How can you help me? Just jotting some things down and having that readily available can be pretty powerful in helping you feel like you can have the stamina to continue reaching out. So many times, one of the main symptoms of mental illness is that piece that keeps you from dealing with mental illness. It's a circular thing is I feel horrible. I feel awful, but I feel so bad I can't get the help I need. And that's the scary part of this. We have a resource that I developed here in Tennessee, and it's available to anyone. I can actually share a link with you all. It's called the Productivity Protocol. And it's something you do when you're healthy, when you're feeling good. And just like we have a protocol for addressing mastitis and dairy heifers, right? And so we have protocol. We know what we're supposed to be doing in certain situations. Well, I developed this, what I am call the Productivity Protocol. And it's literally just, hey, here are the signs and symptoms that I should be recognizing in myself for when to be concerned. And what should I do when that happens? And it's a step-by-step worksheet that you can post on the back of a door in your shop or in your barn, or maybe on your tractor, put it in a, a Ziploc bag and have it right there in your tractor and kind of run through it and check yourself. Because ultimately, it's about remaining productive on the farm, right? We want to keep being able to do what we need to do. So having a resource like that can be also be really helpful to people. Absolutely, Heather. I was giving a worksheet similar to what you're talking about by one of my therapists that I was seeing. And when you work through it, you realize that your day isn't as bad as you played it off in your head. And so it makes a world of difference. I actually shared that with my team and they're like, Holy cow, that is a really great source. So kudos for that. Awesome. Well, Heather, as you said, there are a number of resources that are out there, and we're actually going to compile a list of those and clickable links, and we're going to put those in the episode description. So anybody that needs to run through that protocol can find it there. But John, 
You have anything else to add at this point? You know, Dusty, I just want to thank Heather and Lowell so much for the work that they have done on this issue. Heather is going to be with our action team meetings in July in Washington, D.C., looking forward to meeting her in person. And of course, Lowell is continuing his work not only on the farm, but with his team that he chairs so well and tells his story so well. So thank you so much for all that you've done on this, the courage and the compassion you've shown in speaking out and letting folks know that they're not alone. So I want to close by urging farm families and industry partners and those that care for farmers to look for signs. It seems intimidating. It seems that's something completely out of what most of us do most of the time, but it's vital. And saying something can truly mean everything and not saying something can lead to some bad things. And so we need to help one another. And I think that's what we're here for is to help one another and to see people become everything that they can be. And certainly this is an important thing for our organization. And I know it's important to the folks that are listening to this podcast. I'm John Doggett. I'm the CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. We hope you'll join us again real soon for the next episode of Wherever John May Roam, the National Corn Growers Association podcast. That is going to wrap up this edition of Wherever John May Roam, the National Corn Growers Association podcast. New episodes arrive monthly, so make sure you subscribe in your favorite app and join us again soon. Visit ncga.com to learn more or sign up for the association's email newsletter. Wherever John May Roam is brought to you by the National Corn Growers Association with production oversight by Larry Kilgore III and additional editing by Beatrice Lawrence. And it's produced by PodCamp Media. Branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com. For the National Corn Growers Association, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.